Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Black Health Podcast. It's me, one of your hosts, Paula. And I'm joined by my team. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'll start. Hey, y'all. It's Khadija. <laughs> Marcy. Everybody's Matthew. <laughs> Thanks, y'all, for joining us again for our episode number 10. And happy Black History Month. Hey. Um, <laughs> so to start it off with our icebreaker question for today, um, it is, if you were given your own talk show, who would be your first three guests? Um, so Khadija, do you want to uh, let us know who would be your first three guests? <laughs> sure, I'll start. So I think my first guest would be Nick Cannon. Ooh. Because, Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I would ask him, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> um, having, having babies, building yeah. an empire. <laughs> um, as of the recording of this podcast, he is now expecting his eighth child, which is... No way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he called her his next baby mother. Mm-hmm. The woman that's having the child, not yes. not the Wait. child. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> I have to clarify. Listen. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I know that he has voiced just like some of the the rationale behind why he wants to repopulate the earth. Um. <laughs> he's. Uh. I know he like he's mentioned you know, with just some health complications and him just wanting to leave a legacy. And like, okay, I guess, but <laughs> it's just, it's a lot. And it's just interesting how men can get away with this. And we think it's it's funny, if anything, but if this were a woman, there would be all the judgment. So, oh yeah, they be dragging Kiki Wyatt because she about to have uh, her eleventh kid. Yeah, she Dang, Kiki 11. Wyatt had eleven kids. <laughs> She's pregnant with her eleventh now. Yeah, that's yeah. ambitious. It, yeah, but you know, how old is Kiki Wyatt? She gotta be in her forties. It's also dangerous. It seems it's a it's a lot of kids. My but... grandma had thirteen. What? That's what I was gonna say. It was and my other common. grandma had ten. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, they was popping them out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Nick Cannon's doing. I didn't expect Nick Cannon to be like the cultural thing that he is today. Like back when he was on Drumline, <laughs> I didn't expect him to be Trump. to still be relevant. It surprises me. When he was on Drumline and Nickelodeon, right? Yeah, Nickelodeon, <laughs> like... all of that. Um. But now, like, yeah, people go to war about Nick Cannon. I'm like. Didn't expect that. And, the, and he's turpins. I don't know. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. <laughs> um, let's see. Someone else that I would want to interview on a talk show would be Cassie from Euphoria. And I would start with the same question. What are you doing? <laughs> um, this poor girl. I, yeah. you know... I do. I empathize with her. I appreciate that they talk about her backstory and um, just some of the issues um, and trauma she's gone through with her father being absent. Um, but there's a lot. She She's doing a lot. I will say the actress. Um, oh, my God. What's the actress's name? Sydney. Sydney, Sydney Sweeney. Sweeney, yeah. She's mm-hmm. acting her ass off. Like, yeah. <laughs> She don't even have to say anything. Her her faces and the tears and the breakdowns. <laughs> Yo, it, that, that scene where she was crying, smiling in the mirror <laughs> <laughs> made my skin crawl. That just scared me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every time I watch, I, I'm just like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? I, I'm kind of mad at the writers. Like, yeah, I, why? I didn't really see this for her. Like, I thought she was a loyal friend. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm also wondering, like, why would Nate do this? Um, why would Nate do this? Nate is, cha- we, we, Nate is chaotic. For sure. But, <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't know. He, I, I, I was surprised. Not surprised that he was, like, sleeping with her, but surprised that he then, like, was holding her hand at school. Like, No. <laughs> there's, there's nothing he wouldn't do. 
Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing off limits. <laughs> right. Um, and then I guess my third person would be Wendy Williams because she is the queen of talk shows. What? And oh, okay. I'd want some, <laughs> <laughs> some tips and advice from her. <laughs> I have a talk show about hosting talk shows. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me your secrets. How you doing? Okay, so Khadijah, the show is is really random. <laughs> yeah. What is your theme, Khadijah? Uh, chaos. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, what about you, Matthew? Who would be your three guests? Um. I feel like the obvious answer here is Jay-Z. You take the dinner with Jay-Z, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Taking the money. <laughs> um, but no, even besides that, I'm just a huge Jay-Z fan. I uh, would have tons of questions about uh, his music, where he came from, about Black capitalism, and mm-hmm. all of that. I think it would be really, really interesting and really funny. And he doesn't do a lot of interviews, so it would be nice uh, to be able to get that interview. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, secondly, I would love to interview Megan the Stallion. Yes. Um, I'm trying to get trying to get a health program with a health admin shorty. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think we could <laughs> we could plan something really cool for the folks at Houston. So we'll love to, we'll love to have <laughs> Megan there. Yeah. If yeah. you're listening, Megan. The plug. <laughs> hit, us, hit us up. Hey girl. <laughs> Megan the Stallion, if you're listening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this by happenstance, you know. Um, and then just being from Atlanta, I would love to uh to hit up Ice Trey, Trey Young. Hey, Ice Trey the guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he's been he's been really good for the city. Um, the Hawks have been terrible for so long, so it's nice mm-hmm. to have nice to have some young energy. Um, and yeah, that'd be that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. So those are my three. How about how about you, Marcella? I don't have three. Um. Because I would interview Beyonce and it's just like, who else do you need to talk to after you talk to Beyonce? Blue Ivy. I guess you're right. Could I have a family affair like Beyonce, Mama Tina and Blue? That'd be great. Like, just interview. You'd have to reach out to Blue to get it scheduled though. Yeah, Blue's definitely the manager (laughs) over there for sure. Like, she's definitely running the show. Have you seen how tall she is? Like, she's about to be yeah, taller than Mama Tina. <laughs> and she's like 10. She's going to be really tall. I'm excited to see what Blue does with her life. Mm-hmm. Jay-Z's mm-hmm. pretty tall, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Beyonce so. isn't. So, yeah, I think she must get it from Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would just, I don't even know what we would talk about. I just feel like, you know. <laughs> Could you do the interview without fanning out? Well, I think I would fan out like behind the scenes before the interview started. Like I would have to just like get it out of my system, <laughs> so then I could be like, okay. now I'm ready, mm-hmm. you know. And then we could like vibe on our Virgo shit because like, you know, we get each other because Virgos we be <laughs> on the same wave. Like we don't really like people like that. <laughs> Is that the Virgo trait? <laughs> <laughs> don't like people yeah i mean generally like you know we nice and you know we're but like our circle is like we have our circle and then it's everybody else that's fair you know really you know don't do new friends too well beyonce would be fun you know i i like all of the videos of like beyonce saying random things in interviews <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's hilarious. <laughs> and that's why she don't do interviews anymore because people used to talk so bad about her. But like, and now it's like, oh, she don't have no personality. And it's like, well, when she was showing her personality, y'all was clowning her. So I would shut yeah, the Yeah, they used to always too. talk about her accent. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, she from Texas. What's she supposed to sound like? Mm-hmm. And it's just so anti-Black. Like, why can't she have an accent? Right. And that's like, that goes into like that Southern thing too about how like they think people with Southern accents are like automatically stupid. So, mm-hmm. right, right. So people would always say she was dumb. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if she dumb, like, I don't know how you would come close to being a billionaire if you dumb, but okay. Yeah. I think Mama Tina would be hilarious as well. Yeah. Her Instagram <laughs> brings me so much joy because she's just such a mom on Instagram. She's such mm-hmm. a mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> her comments. Such a grandma, too. <laughs> yes, for sure. Like, Mama Tina. Someone need to take your phone, girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> she be getting mad at people. Right. This is a bit of a divergence, but would you all want like a Kardashian style 
show for Beyonce and, and the family, like keeping up with, no. with the Knowles, Knowles Carters. The Carters. Yeah. <laughs> like the fan in me Maybe. would, but like, yeah. In reality, no. No. I, I, I like that they're so private mm-hmm. and I. I'd want to respect their privacy. Although I did recently learn about how deep the um, the family tree goes with um, uh, Bianca. What's, oh my gosh, that shit blew name? my mind. Beyonce? No, Bianca um, Lawson. Bianca Lawson. Oh, Lawson. Mm-hmm. They're related to all like the Motown people. Like, oh, wow. Like if you yeah. go, they're actually you know Jimmy Carter is somewhere in that. <laughs> Jimmy Carter? This this family tree came out on someone posted it on Twitter and it's been going around Twitter like all day. And so I had first I was zoomed in Bianca Lynn because the conversation started talking about how she's a nepotism baby. So you could see like her dad and then her mom is like a Gordy or something like that. So it was like the mm. very Gordy like family tree. And obviously mm. like Diana Ross and her kids are over there in it mm-hmm. in a way and all this stuff. So it's like, yeah. And then like Michael Jackson's kind of in it, but he's in it like through like his marriage, brother right? being married yeah. into mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. So it's like people who are related by marriage. So obviously there are a lot of Motown folks because like they was all there together and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. So then you zoom out, like, <laughs> then I zoomed out and I saw fucking Jimmy Carter. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> so Jimmy Carter is his, like, grandfather had, like, great-grandfather had a child with a Black person, a Black woman. Mm-hmm. And, and then blind is what created two. So they're, like, Oh, cousins wow. third removed or some shit like that yeah man <laughs> I'm, gotta let I'm gonna have to send y'all the uh the graphic <laughs> yeah i want to see that what it's about wild you, <laughs> who would you interview on your show? oh my um if i had a talk show my three people would be megan the stallion um as well mm-hmm. um just because she is hilarious to me and um yeah, I just want to talk to her about like feminism and just what it's like to be a tall, bad bitch yeah. <laughs> and have all these niggas like so intimidated that they hate you and love you at the same time. Exactly. Like they're all tripping. And she's been like really going off lately. Like she was posting stuff on Instagram today mm-hmm. about Tory Lanes and then mm. she deleted it immediately. But she was posting like text messages about him apologizing for shooting her. Mm. <laughs> and then the other day she was going off on the guy from 1501 because mm-hmm. he was saying some stuff about like, oh, look, the case got dismissed. And then she was like, um, actually, like, no, right. it didn't. Or like, <laughs> I'm still suing you for something else. <laughs> like, yeah. So mm. I just love that. Like, you know, she just been like in her feelings on Instagram lately because <laughs> I relate. Like, sometimes you'd be like, look, I'm tired. Like, right. I'm about to expose y'all. Nice, like. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I would talk to her about all those things, just how she's how she's doing it all. And I will also interview Kid Fury, which I laughed mm-hmm. when Khadija said Wendy Williams, but I realized like I would interview Kid Fury for a similar <laughs> reason. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I want to like know what it's like to be a podcaster and to have like done done your whole career like from YouTube all the yeah. way up until now. And um, and he's just really really funny too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's hilarious. And then, yeah, yeah. And then um, also Zen. I think last episode <laughs> we discussed the yeah. pronunciation <laughs> of her name Zendaya. I think I say Zendaya, but maybe it's Zendaya. Um, One of the two gotta be right. Right. <laughs> Zendaya. I just want to ask her, like, you know, her her creative process, her acting process, and all of that. And um, <laughs> how do you play a crackhead so well? Right. <laughs> what is your inspiration? Yo. That episode where she was tearing up the whole city. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. It was an incredible performance. I was dying. I was like, Rue is ruining everybody's face. Like she said, if I can't get my drugs. <laughs> I'm like, Nobody's going to have a good day. She jumped the fence and fell on a glass table. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yo, it was crazy. 
Um, no, nah, she's amazing. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to talk to her to be so young and doing all that. For sure. Yeah, I yeah. think she does a really good job of like showing the complexity of addiction. Because I feel like she wants to be sober, um, but she really just can't. Um, and I think so many people think that addiction is like a behavior choice. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's like mm-hmm. the layers that she has there. Um, it's really deep to me. So yeah, she does an incredible job. I I really like that part of the show. Yeah, no, I agree. Cause like I have like people in my family who like struggle with addiction and it's like those mood swings is just like really like she, she really shows that well, like how like she said some really, really hurtful stuff to Jules and just then she's crying and uh, I was just, that was, yeah, that, that first like 15 minutes of that episode was like, really raw and really real because I've, mm-hmm. I've definitely seen that mm-hmm. yeah all right so we can get into our our topics um for this episode so obviously it's black history month so we wanted to talk a little bit about um some black health history so um past present historical figures um who are doing good things uh in health for black folks um, I don't mind starting um, with this one and then I'll pass it to someone else. But um, so I wanted to um, just call out uh, Dr. Kizmikia Corbett. Um, so she is, if you haven't heard of her, she is a 36 year old black woman. She's 36 now, um, but she's a black woman who was instrumental in the development of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine, which is a highly effective vaccine, um, (laughs) one of the first to be uh, approved on the market um, by the FDA. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to talk more. I think a lot of people have maybe kind of heard like, oh, there was a black woman who was behind like the development of the vaccine and stuff. But I hadn't really before like kind of researching her for this episode, I hadn't really um, known a lot about like her background and just who she was, anything more about her. So I just looked on like Wikipedia and some articles, but (laughs) it was just some things I wanted to highlight. Like she's just basically been like a really smart, like person like her whole life basically so even when she was in high school she was in all these like science programs and stuff and she was doing research while she was in high school and then she got a full ride um, to the University of Maryland Baltimore County and that's where she got her bachelor's in biological sciences and sociology Um, and then after that she went and got a PhD in microbiology and immunology from the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill And then as part of her PhD research, she studied um, how people produce antibodies in response to dengue fever um, in Sri Lanka. So she did some research at UNC on that. And then she also went to Sri Lanka um, to do some more research and everything that was part of her um, doctoral studies. Um, So I thought that was cool. Shout Mm -hmm. out to my global health folks. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And then after she got her PhD, she started working for the National Institutes of Health, NIH, um, as a viral immunologist. Um, and that's where she started studying uh, like vaccine development for coronaviruses. So um, before COVID-19, the popular coronaviruses were SARS and MERS. And so she was studying like antibodies and vaccine stuff for, for SARS and MERS. And then when COVID-19 hit, uh, basically like her team lead was like, get ready. Like, you know, <laughs> it's our time, you know, right. basically. And she was, she was like, I'm ready. And so they were able to like use all that previous research that she had worked on. It's, it's some like real cool stuff that she did. Like she was able to like isolate or stabilize like certain like proteins or something. Um, it's real scientific. I'm not exactly sure, but <laughs> she had already been able to do that with the previous like coronaviruses she was studying. So then um, yeah, so then they were able to do that as well with COVID-19, and that's what really helped um, help them develop the, the Moderna mRNA vaccine, um, which, as I said, is really effective. So it has a 95% efficacy rate against, like, serious illness uh, from COVID-19. And so she said in one of the articles I was reading, um, Dr. Corbett said that she had cried when the initial trials um, showed how well the vaccine worked. And then um, there's this picture of her where she's like in the picture with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, because Fauci is a uh, lead of 
NIH. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's Donald Trump in the photo. So this is in March, 2020. Um, Trump's team and stuff, they came and they uh, did like, a, I guess, like a tour or something of the NIH labs where she was working. So there's this kind of like a um, famous picture of her and Fauci and, and Trump. Um, and so she has a quote from that event, um, that tour that they did with Trump that I thought was good. And I just wanted to read it. So, um, Kazmikia said, I felt like it was necessary to be seen and to not be a hidden figure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I felt that it was important to do that because the level of visibility that it would have to younger scientists and also to people of color who have often worked behind the scenes and essentially who have done the dirty work for these large efforts toward a vaccine. This person who looks like you has been working on this for several years, and I also wanted it to be visible because I wanted people to understand that I stood by the work that I'd done for so long. And so, yeah, I just thought that was important to highlight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, you know, Black girl magic, she's doing her thing, and she is helping, she helps save the world, honestly, um, if y'all would get vaccinated. (laughs) 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 But she did, she did her part. Right. (laughs) And that's the thing about the vaccine, like, to me, just from a science perspective, the shit is just so cool, like, how it works. Yeah, it's incredible. It like, really is. Like, yeah. <laughs> people are definitely going to win Nobel Peace Prizes behind oh, the vaccine. Sure. Like mm-hmm. it's it's really amazing. Yeah. And 36 was so young, Paula. I didn't know that she was that yeah, young. Yeah, that is really young. I know. She was born in 86. That's wild. That's crazy. Oh, right? That's wow. <laughs> like a couple years older than me. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's pretty amazing. And I just love like I just love that she's, you know, been able to be at like at the forefront of stuff. Like I appreciate Fauci for kind of like, um, you know, really highlighting her as mm-hmm. part of the team um, because that is important. Um, I think, you know, black people really did need to see that there are black people, you know, mm-hmm. working on this vaccine. And I think hopefully it did impact and affect some people in their, their decision-making processes around getting vaccinated and just, I just think it helps to like dispel some of those um, rumors, you know, about how I just feel like science and, and especially like really, really technical science, like what it takes to, to, to make a vaccine and, and, you know, new medicines and stuff is just framed as being like a white field or maybe mm-hmm. an Asian field or something like that. And there's none of us back there working on it when there are a lot of us who are behind the scenes. And so like mm-hmm. Kazmikia said, it's good that she's, you know, coming to the forefront and she's not a hidden figure behind the scenes mm-hmm. um, because there are those of us back there and, and who are working and making sure like the trials are um, ethical and that the vaccine is safe and it, and all of that stuff. And it works. Um, you know, I think I, I feel like I trust her, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> to, to be back there advocating for us. For sure. You go ahead, girl. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. The more, you know, all right (laughs) yeah so who would like to go next i don't mind going next (laughs) um so i also wanted to highlight some contemporary black health history (laughs) um so i specifically wanted to highlight three black health equity scholars that are doing some really important work around racism and health. Um, So super relevant to the work we try to do here at Black Health and um, really leading the field in this space currently. So the first person I wanted to highlight is Dr. Rachel Hardiman. She is the Associate Professor at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. She also is currently the director of the Center for Anti-Racism Research for Health Equity at University of Minnesota. And she also holds a Blue Cross Endowed Professorship of Health and Racial Equity. And so some of the recent work she's been involved in is um, there's a really cool um, health affairs special issue they just came out. Um, around racism and health. Y'all should definitely read it. It has a lot of heavy hitters um, across disciplines in in that special issue. So she was the theme issue advisor, and she also had a 
article within it around measurement of structural racism. Um, that's really, um, it, it's really powerful, actually, um, the work and the advancement that um, scholars have made in how we measure racism mm -hmm. and its effect on health. And so it's cool to just see where the field is currently. Um, and she was also recently named an advisor to the director of the CDC on an advisory committee to help with the CDC mission and strategic direction, which is great to have like a black woman, particularly one that's focused on racism and health in that position, because we know yeah, the CDC can use it. Yeah, so um, yeah, she's doing awesome work. Um, the next person I wanted to highlight is Dr. L. Lett. Dr. Lett is an MD, PhD candidate currently at the University of Pennsylvania. Lett is a Black trans social epidemiologist and Black feminist scholar. And some of the recent work that she's been engaged in includes around critical quantitative methods. Um, so basically, like quantitative research is, and like quantitative research methods are super steeped in white supremacy. And um, there's just a group of quantitative methodologists that are really critically examining how quantitative methods um, are, are rooted in that white supremacy and then offering alternatives for folks to engage in methods work in a more justice-oriented manner. Um, so one example of that work that Let is doing is she recently published a paper with some colleagues on the conceptualization, contextualization and operationalization of race in quantitative health sciences research. Um, and so like something Black Health is really passionate and focused on is around debunking race um, as like a biological or genetic thing and mm -hmm. really focusing on how race is socially constructed. But the health sciences research space still treats race as biological or genetic. And that's really dangerous because when um, we see um, racial inequities and health outcomes or social outcomes, if we see race as biological or genetic, then people may jump to the conclusion that is something inherently wrong with Black people or something in our genes that makes us have worse outcomes when we know it's actually racism. So this work that is being done in this space is super important. Um, Let also recently led a publication around health equity tourism. Have any of y'all heard of that term before? Nope. No, I yes. haven't. Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically after the racial reckonings, which actually I, if I see that term. Racial <laughs> <laughs> reckoning. One more time. Folks were like, oh. We like this word. Race, racism exists. <laughs> um. Yeah, so basically, um, to our listeners, um, there have been, and I'm I'm sure this is across industries, but um, in this context within the health sciences, health sciences research and practice, there have been a lot of white and um, some non-white researchers that have not traditionally done health equity research or practice they're not steeped in the in the theories um in the frameworks that ground a lot of health equity work i've really jumped at the opportunity um the increased funds and grants and resources and interest around health equity to really co-opt and dilute and steal the work of scholars of color that have been doing this work for decades um, and so we see this in um, who's um, been getting awarded for like big like NIH grants mm -hmm. um, when we know like HBCUs are literally they have like a ceiling <laughs> with how much grant funds they can get in this space. Um, and just we see it with like really 
erroneous uses of terms that y'all didn't even want to say those terms mm-hmm. a year ago. Right. So now you're saying it, but you not even. <laughs> if I see anti-racist one more time. No. <laughs> kick somebody in their face. Um, y'all ain't even using it correctly. Um, and so, yeah, let um, in colleagues um, recently let a publication. We'll make sure to include these articles in the show notes. But um, around the concept of health equity tourism and um, why it's so incredibly problematic, particularly for folks that have been in this space, both through their research and through their lived experience. And lastly, last but not least, I wanted to highlight Dr. Lisa Boleg, who is a professor of psychology at George Washington University. Um, And she's one of the leading scholars of intersectionality and how it relates to health. And um, some of the recent work she's been engaged in is really looking at how intersectionality frameworks can be applied to mixed methods research. So when you pair quantitative research, like research with numbers and big data sets with qualitative research. So um, uh, research related to like um, people's stories and lived experiences and how intersectionality frameworks can be applied to those mixed methods. Um, And yeah, now that I'm going through these, (laughs) I think a common thread between all three of these um, really great scholars is really trying to advance uh the kind of traditional quant met- quantitative methods space I and mean, really try to push it forward mm-hmm. um yeah that's really interesting yeah yeah and um Bolet has also um she's also the lead director of the intersectionality training institute um and I've actually I've been participating like listening into some of the institute's um salons which is actually a really cool concept is basically um right now they're virtual but a gathering of um scholars across levels from junior scholars to folks that um uh, been have been in this space for a while um to just um talk to talk to each other and work through some of the current challenges and opportunities um, in um, a particular topic. So for this case, um, intersectionality research. And so um, it's been really interesting and um, really cool listening into these sessions. And it just made me realize like um, Black scholars, particularly Black women scholars, social science scholars, scholars are and have been really leading the most innovative work in mm-hmm. our field. That makes sense that they yeah. would. <laughs> <laughs> just um, the nature. That's yeah. Really cool. Well, you need to drop all those resources in sure. our yes. Google Drive. Yes. Um, read them. Right. Start incorporating some of this stuff. Because, yeah, I'm really interested in this. Um, what was the one you mentioned about, like, the quant? I think it was the let. L- yeah, L- yeah. L- like, the criti- um, critical quantitative methods. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's super um it's super interesting and exciting and also makes me <laughs> think about how um as health science researchers and practitioners um that are really trying to do our work through a critical lens, how we have to do like the double work of both learning and mastering like the Western white concepts mm-hmm, in our mm-hmm. field. And then also learning <laughs> these critical tools that often come from other disciplines mm-hmm. and then learning how to, so I guess triple work, right. how to apply those mm-hmm. and really critique those Western constructs. Um, and so it, it's a lot, of, a lot of work that we'd be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why the stuff we'd be doing is so innovative. Right. New yeah, you were, you were mentioning... Um, quantitative methods being sort of seeped in white supremacy um, and developing, you know, new methods and new interpretations um, based off of that. I know that you're doing, thinking through some of this in your like personal work. Um, 
but what what have you seen like how is that going um as you develop sort of your quant skill set um how are you how are you furthering uh, that field or yeah. thinking through furthering that field yeah, so um, currently I'm a PhD student and I'm definitely um, finding a lot of tensions actually with um, trying to apply all of these um, critical theories and frameworks that um, Black health, our work is really centered around um, and all of this rich scholarship is centered around to um, public health research. Um, I definitely, um, I see, like, for example, that, like, um, biological um, determinism around race, so seeing race as, like, biological and genetic, Mm -hmm. um, and how it's treated as, um, um, like, a risk factor, treated um, in just, like, statistical modeling, just incorrectly. Um, I see that all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, it's, it's, kind of wild how um how much work needs to be done to correct that and change that mm-hmm. um and I think for me personally like I'm learning all these quantitative methods but I'm I'm really trying to build my skills on qualitative methods I yeah, feel I was... like it's undervalued mm-hmm. and I'm really yeah. into um counter storytelling which is you know a tenant part of critical <laughs> race theory and really more deeply understanding the the root causes and the why um and so i i'm I'm learning the quantitative stuff but i <laughs> kind of go in a different direction <laughs> yeah that makes sense i mean I, I know that in a lot of the fields the quantitative work is what gets the funding mm-hmm. um and a, a lot of that is anti-black as well mm-hmm. um, that's what i was about to say and so it's interesting to hear that folks are sort of building new quant models mm-hmm. um, and new ways to <clears throat> um, understand quant methodology. Um, but I think the the important point that you made is that mixed method work as well. So mm-hmm. combining that um, with the uh, qualitative, with the storytelling um, is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to read the articles, um, mm-hmm. but even more excited to see what uh, Dr. Amin produces from her, uh-huh. from her, from her work. <laughs> Dr. Deesh. <laughs> Not there yet, but <laughs> close, yeah. girl. We'll be there. Okay. Um, so, Mercy, do you want to go next? What is your Black health history Sure. Fact? My Black health history fact is actually really cool because it's um, my family. Yeah. Um, so, it's actually about my great-grandfather on my father's side. His name was Robert Harris Sr., and he was born in Sparta, Georgia in 1891. And... Um, he was very interested in health and medicine. He went to Tuskegee Institute and um, later became a pharmacist and a nurse. And he was actually the first black male nurse at Grady Memorial Hospital here in Atlanta. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I thought that was really cool because like, wow. Like <laughs> <laughs> your own family is like setting trends. Look at that. Um, especially back in the time when like, male nurses like wasn't really a thing either mm-hmm. um was that do you know if that was like a segregated unit yes yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. definitely, definitely yeah. A segregated unit back then for sure um and then again like i said he did he was also a pharmacist so he went on to own and operate his multiple pharmacies in atlanta um in georgia and florida um which was a legacy that he passed on to his son to my grandfather and his grandson my uncle um, and so his pharmacies where he had Harris prescriptions off Simpson Road oh. and Harris Sundry off Hollywood Road in Atlanta. And then he had the People's Drug Store down in Waycross, Georgia, which is where my father was born. And he was also featured like numerous times in Who's Who in Colored America. And I was Googling it and I actually found like one of the books of Who's Who in Colored America and like saw his feature in there. And wow. I was like, <laughs> really cool like wow so it was just like really cool like to see like how like one I'm happy to see that like my family has done such a great job at just kind of like keeping those type of records yeah like, it's awesome that history. you even know this <laughs> yeah like my auntie has been like really great like she has a whole book of just oh, wow. like our whole family tree from I think it goes back a little bit further than our great grand my great grandfather um but yeah I just thought that was just like really cool um to know that 
like my family legacy basically, you know, helped integrate male nurses mm-hmm. and um, you know, just stories that I heard about him um, from my father. My dad was really close to him. And so it was just, you know, he was always about, you know, helping black people and like helping them find natural remedies. Like even with his pharmacy, like he made his own medicines and like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, finding stuff for black people and just like kind of in his own way, like creating equity for like black folks. Yeah. It's like, we've been here. We've been right doing this. Right. The work <laughs> has been being done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Do you uh, feel like you're carrying on a, a Harris legacy? Um, <laughs> a Harris health legacy, <laughs> right? I think in a sense, yeah. Because like, so, you know, as I mentioned, like he passed it on to his son and his grandson. So like, I'm the youngest of all of my cousins. It's like 17 of us is a lot. Um and so I'm the youngest. And so nobody else went to pharmacy school. And so it was kind of like everybody looking at me like, you gonna go to pharmacy school? You got to continue the family legacy. <laughs> and so like I did go to pharmacy school and then that's how I fell into public health. So it was like pharmacy wasn't necessarily my calling, but I tweaked it into my own, like what worked for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so. It's but like- I, I feel like pharmacy back then was a lot more public health prevention. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 It definitely right. was. Yeah. It definitely was. Like I said, he made his own medication, so it wasn't like he pushing like big pharma. Like right. he got herbs <laughs> and, you know, back there with the mortar and pestle grinding <laughs> shit up, you know. Like, oh, you got a coat? I got something. I'm going to whip something up for you real quick, you know. So it's. I definitely think it was definitely more like public health um, Than it is like now, because that was kind of why I wasn't into it. Because I'm just like a lot of this stuff we're treat is like treating stuff we could just prevent with like other means. Yeah, and so he wasn't trying to be in Walgreens. Was not trying to be (laughs) trapped out. I worked at CVS and I hated it. It, I was it was because it wasn't. It's not about the patient, and it's it's all about numbers. At the end of the day, it's a business. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, you get in, you getting in trouble because you let the phone ring too many times or like this patient didn't get their refill. And it's not, you're not concerned about them getting the refill because they need it. You concerned just because you need them numbers to get them scripts filled. Because if your script number fell below a certain amount, they come district manager at your door, like you only filled 500 scripts today. What's going on? Oh, wow. You know, like your script volume has to be up. Like if you were not performing, Mm -hmm. you were not like, you weren't getting staff, you weren't getting bonuses. Like, (laughs) y'all like real life drug dealers. Real life. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't moving enough of these packages. No, moving enough (laughs) weight. (laughs) You know, like, so it just, I was just like, this isn't. And then when you're in pharmacy school, like, that's not what you learning in school either so mm. you also, I kind of felt like I was wasting my time in school so I'm mm. like mm-hmm. I'm not even going to use this education so why do I pivot out of this <laughs> interesting but yeah so I thought that was like no this is so cool, really cool. I didn't know this yeah man <laughs> very fascinating awesome so um my I guess health figure for Black History Month is Harriet Tubman. I yes. talk about Harriet Tubman whenever I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm looking at girl Harriet. <laughs> right now. Right. If y'all don't know, Matthew has a portrait of Harriet Tubman on his forearm. I do. Tattooed. Uh-huh. Um, Hyper-realistic portrait. Yeah. Harriet Whole is, body. Whole Harriet's body. <laughs> also like one of my favorite people ever. I mean, she literally brought people to freedom. Um <laughs> Contrary to what Kanye said. To what Kanye said. Right. Yes. She literally, <laughs> literally <laughs> freed slaves. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, and, that, and I think that's the story that everybody knows, right? Like, Harriet escaped slavery herself, you know, went back, um, I want to say, over 20 times, freeing people from the South. Um, you know, there's a, I read something that said, you know, at one point, the bounty for Harriet Tubman back then was almost $40,000. Um, which equates to about one point three million dollars now. Oh wow! Like the Damn. government was like, "Y'all got to stop this woman. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> she is costing us money." Um, yeah, so she's—I mean, she's just incredible. Um, 
you know, there's also a story, and I'm separating a little bit, but there's a story where, like, early on in her life, she got uh, hit in the head mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and would, like, sometimes fall asleep and just, like, not be being able to, to be woken up. Um, and so they said that she also probably had a very serious disability, mm. um, but was still, you know, going into the South, freeing slaves. Um, <sighs> but the aspect that I think a lot of people don't know is, like, you know, after... Um, like during the Civil War, um, Harriet Tubman also, you know, served as a nurse and like treated soldiers, um, was going, you know, to the uh, Union Army camps and like helping black and white soldiers um, with medicine and other and other things and, and nursing people back to health. Right. So really, you know, not only the Moses of our people, but also a healer, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that some people, you know, some people don't know and forget. Um, and once the Civil War was over, she also, you know, began working as a nurse in Washington, D.C. Um, there wow. was, <clears throat> I never knew that. Yeah, there's like a freedman's hospital there um, where she would work. Um, again, like, you know, creating medicine from plants and herbs, um, which I think is just, just really awesome. One, to like have the knowledge to do that, mm-hmm. um, which she, of course, is like generational learned from her mother who probably learned from, from her mother. Um, I think that is really cool and really awesome. Um, and then, you know, continued that later in her life. She opened many homes um, for, like, elderly people, people who were aging, cared for them in that way. Um, so Harriet, you know, her, her whole life was dedicated to the people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really why I have her tattooed on my arm, because it's just a reminder to who I should be. So. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Man of the people. Mama. Try to be. Aspire nah, to be. I mean, so that's a, it's a high, her a high bar. Yeah, man. <laughs> that um, that drunk history episode about her is, is yes. like so amazing, <laughs> I and I think in that episode they talked about how she was able to do a lot of the stuff she did because she was very short, petite, like dark skinned woman. So she just kind of like blended in, like it just mm. you know looked very unassuming. Like people mm-hmm. were just like not paying any attention to her, mm-hmm. and so she was able to like you know. Sneak Free through, science? sneak across the country, and serve yeah. as a spy for the for the right. Union Army, and that's yeah, all that stuff is so amazing. She's like, wow, the stuff like it's like you were doing all of this in like slavery, like that's just like <laughs> right. <laughs> slavery, people were enslaved, literally. Yeah, like yes. I think I don't, I just yeah, that's it's hard to imagine because I know I'd probably be somewhere depressed. I'm saying. You know, I don't know if I would, if I would have the energy. <laughs> I mean, because it's like, I think, like, like, like free myself. I, I for damn sure ain't going back. Right. <laughs> I was just about to say that, like, dang. like that was enough getting myself. Like, you want me to go back? Okay, yeah. like, <laughs> she would go back. I, she even freed her own parents. Like, wow. And I think at the time they yeah. were elderly, like late sixties, early seventies. Um, and that journey was tough, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're. Most of the right. time, you know, traveling um, back roads or, you know, through the forest, uh, may not eat for a few days. Like, it was strenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course, relying on people um, at the Underground Railroad. But I can't imagine that. I think you're right, Paula. I would have been like, mm, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would have been rough. Nah, she was about that life. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome cool. black history. Black people been doing it. Been still doing it, doing still it. doing it. Gonna keep doing it. Yeah, so I think we did an episode. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. Um, and just so you know, of course, you can always find us uh on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere, uh at Black Health, B-L-K-H-L-T-H. Um, and yeah, we're always open for collaboration and speaking. So just hit us up. You can, uh, email us at engage at blackhealth.com, or you can go to our website. We have a contact form there. So any projects that you have, you're looking for some black voices and our, um, critical race theory perspectives. Um, you can hit us up for that. And also, yeah, like we teach workshops on what those concepts mean and how to apply them to your work. 
Um, and yeah, also stay tuned. We have a big announcement coming in March. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of stuff popping off next month. So, you know, just stay tuned with us. Stay connected with us on social media so you can just know what we have going on and you can be a part. And uh, if you didn't catch our event last uh, well, a few weeks ago, earlier this month, um, it was our Black Health Conversations, Black Women in HIV Prevention. And so we had uh, our guests were Dr. Oni Blackstock and it was an HIV advocate, Rimsky Evans. And then we also had the illustrious spoken word poet, Ashley Hayes, uh, perform during that event. So if you didn't catch that live, then you can go and watch the recording. Um, it's on our Instagram. It's on our Facebook. It's on our YouTube. So you can't miss it. Find us online, Black Health, and you can watch the recording of that event. Uh, my auntie said it was amazing and it made her cry. So um, you, did a, you did a really good job, Paula. <laughs> you did. It was awesome. Oh, thank it you. Was really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People said they learned so much, and that's definitely thanks to the guests that we had as well. Um, so yeah, it's just really good information if you just want to learn a little bit more about HIV and and how it's affecting Black women right now, mm-hmm. and what's what we can do about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I said at the beginning, happy Black History Month. So I hope y'all's Black History Month uh, ends on a on a high note. I know it's been a roller coaster, but <laughs> hopefully it ends well for everybody. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to y'all next month. Bye, Bye. y'all. Bye.